0: For me, like the first milestone was just make, you know, five hundred, seven hundred dollars and go live in Thailand somewhere. Like that's definitely how I viewed my first benchmark, my first milestone. And it's funny because I didn't actually end up getting to Thailand, <laughs> but I ended up moving back in with my parents. <laughs>
1: So Ian, I have a really interesting conversation I want to share with you today. I,
2: I really enjoyed doing this episode. How are you, by the way? You doing okay? I'm good. I know who this is about. It's about Michael Erickson. Oh man, you're revealing it so early. Isn't it? Yeah. Because <laughs> I was already thinking about him and his wonderful wife. I just thought like, what a model couple they are. <laughs> I met them in, in Bangkok and couldn't be nicer.
1: They're awesome people. And this episode was originally going to be about these three stages of entrepreneurship. So let me talk about the concept under which this conversation originally happened. There was a slide at DCBKK that our friend Jacob Poole put up on the screen. It was an interesting concept by some business thinker, but this is nothing new. I've seen this from Vern Harnish. I've written about it on our blog years ago. And it's this. What are the limiting factors in the growth of your business at any given level? And the concept for this episode was, what is the limiting factor at $100,000 a year? What's the limiting factor at a million dollars a year? And then what's the limiting factor beyond? And our thesis was, at $100,000 a year, it's mindset. In other words, if you are having trouble generating $100,000 a year in revenue in your business, the place to look for problems is with your mindset. If you're having trouble getting to a million dollars in revenue, the place to look for the problem is in your marketing. And if you're having trouble getting beyond that million dollar figure, the place to look is in your human resources. You're building a team. And that's, I think, a lot of the reason why over the last few years on this podcast, Ian, we've been talking about teams and processes and systems because those were the problems we were dealing with as a seven-figure business that had aspirations to grow. Right. I mean, we weren't sitting there all day long thinking about our marketing. Actually, it's funny, I say it with a question mark, because it's kind of true. Like, remember in the early days, like when I moved to the Philippines and was putting up websites, and we just like were worried about marketing all the time. Yeah, we had to get eyes. Exactly. And And then in the later days, it was all about like, how often is Ian calling the staff? What kind of staff are we hiring? What are our SOPs look like? And so this framework for thinking about growing a business was really compelling to us. And so I had this really clever idea that I would like call somebody at every phase of the game and like plug them in and make this cool episode. And so I called Michael Erickson, who was in an interesting phase in his business. He just ended up being so interesting that I just wanted to present his story instead. So, so much for a great concept. This week, as you said, we have Michael Erickson, who has a really interesting trajectory Because he trained to be and loved the career that he embarked on initially. So he has an interesting mindset challenge at the beginning. His story is about how difficult circumstances can prompt you to change your life. And I think many of us are going to be able to relate to how Michael's grown his business. I sat down with him recently and started talking about how it all began and how he's gone through those first two phases, which is a goal for many of us. And I thought it would be cool to hear how he's progressed through those stages. So you ready to rock, boss man? Let's do it. All right.
0: I graduated in college with a degree in science education and a degree in biology. And for three years out of college, I was a high school biology teacher. So for a long time, I thought business was kind of a dirty word. Little did I know that, you know, there is no sort of I had the idea of job security kind of shattered for me. Because as much as I loved teaching, as much as I thought I did a great job, I was laid off because I was the first one in. I was the first one to go and budget cuts came in.
1: How do you feel when you're laid off? Like, are you like, oh, cool, finally I can go for my entrepreneurial passion or are you like freaking out? I'm freaking out.
0: (laughs) I was sort of panicking And, and luckily at the time, I was with my girlfriend who's now wife and she sort of said like, hey, you know, you didn't agree with the way that you were treated. Why don't you build an organization where you can feel good about how people are treated? And went online typed in how to make money online, and it was a long, grueling process until I finally built something that was useful and provided value to real people. One of the
1: theses of this episode is that to get to $100,000 in revenue, like if you're not there yet, that it's probably something to do with your mindset. So are there things now that you can identify that you needed to change in your mindset going from a teacher to a business owner that enabled you to get past that level?
0: I think there's a large body of work online for sort of people going to the internet, trying to figure out how they can kind of turn the internet into an ATM. And it wasn't until I sort of stopped reading so many blog posts, and then I started reading actual business books, you know, Good to Great, you know, Personal MBA. Those kind of books helped me realize, hey, stop trying to turn the internet into an ATM machine. Just build a business, build something that people need, build something that people want and then provide value to them. It's simple.
1: Talk me through like the first money that you made online, for example, or the first money that you made from your business.
0: Yeah, so with that same ethos of finding people and then basically solving a problem for them, I was grinding out on job boards like Elance and Odesk, now Upwork. And what a perfect place to find people in need of something. And at first, I was sort of doing everything. I was doing SEO. I was doing WordPress design. I was doing design. I was doing paid ads. And it wasn't until I started really doing paid ads that I really started to gain traction. I really started focusing in and becoming great at a certain skill, which for me was paid ads.
1: You're unemployed. You're sitting in a robe going through (laughs) Upwork job listings and just saying, Hey, I can design something. I'm going to do this for a couple hundred bucks for this person. Or what are you thinking? Is like, if I can just do enough of these, I don't have to go back to work? Or are you thinking I'm going to grow an organization that I can be proud of? Like, what's the mindset at that time?
0: Definitely the first step for me like the first milestone was just make you know 500 700 dollars and go live in thailand somewhere like for me that's definitely how i viewed my first benchmark my first milestone and it's funny because i didn't actually end up getting to thailand (laughs) but i ended up moving back in with my parents (laughs) how did that feel very bad. <laughs> I was actually a newlywed at the time. So just picture moving back into your parents' basement with your newly married wife. It wasn't a pretty picture.
1: So, when people would ask you about that, what would you say when people are like, hey, why don't you get a job and have a decent place for you and your wife to live?
0: Well, I think there was a lot of justified worrying because, you know, five, six years ago, the idea of even being a distributed worker was a very foreign concept to still a lot of people. So, I think a lot of people had a lot of worry like, what are you doing? What are you working on? You know, you, have a wife. Now you have to take care of a family and all these different things. It was tough. It was really tough. And my sort of response was this kind of rambling on answer because I wasn't even a hundred percent sure. Well, you know, I go to job sites and I like do stuff for people (laughs) that that need online work done. And that's, you know, it took me a while to sort of define what it means to start a business, to, you know, provide value in a sort of a structured way.
1: How do you describe it in retrospect? Were you flailing or were you setting the foundation for an entrepreneurial career?
0: Flailing first, then realizing I was flailing, (laughs) and then laying down the, the groundwork.
1: And what was the mental turn that happened that you felt like you went from flailing to groundwork?
0: Realizing that I can actually do it. Realizing that the people who were actually doing it ahead of me were no, maybe smarter than I was, they just got an earlier start. So really understanding that I could do it, and I can actually start a business, and sort of realizing that was key.
1: Did you ever feel behind when you were in your parents' house, assuming at any point you could sort of go get a job, right? You could go back to get a job, yet ahead of you, you had this sort of long, unclear path. Were you forced into that unclear path or did you feel like it became more obvious that that was the way to go?
0: Every time someone said, what are you doing you need to go get a job. That was more fuel for me to not do that, to sort of prove people, prove to myself that it can actually be done.
1: Was there a moment when you like pounded your chest and you're like, yeah, got it done.
0: You know, I always have to remind myself, even now, you know, with 10 people on the team, even now I have to remind myself like, hey, it's going to be okay. Like, hey, you're doing it. Don't worry.
1: So you're still not confident.
0: I think the stakes get larger and larger. When I first got started, I was hiring anyone who I could afford. So maybe it was someone with no online marketing experience and I would just train them. And that was my way of sort of keeping costs low. And now, you know, the latest person on the team is an industry professional with 10 years of experience who has a family. And I look at something like that and I say, this is incredible. You know, I would have never imagined this when I was first getting started, that people would come and work for me, work for the company that have families to support. And that kind of pressure, you know, that kind of positive pressure is what definitely keeps me going
1: let's think back to like when your business kind of started paying you as much as you were paid as a teacher can you compare the two lifestyles and mindsets like how was your life in one category versus the other
0: I think a lot of people have stories that they didn't like their job. I had a job that I loved. I loved being a teacher. I think it's one of the best professions that anyone could pursue. What I didn't like about it was the lack of focus on what most teachers think are important. You know, there's a lot of like testing and there's a lot of bureaucracy. A lot of the old time teachers wanted you to be a politician. You know, you were looked down upon if you didn't sort of play the political game. And there's so many political games. That kind of stuff was the part that made me leave the profession, not necessarily the actual job. So in terms of, you know, how I look back on my time teaching, really, really enjoyed my time in the classroom. But the political games that come with, you know, working in maybe an old fashioned bureaucratic organization is crushing.
1: When you wake up some mornings on a tropical island and you're your own boss, do you ever miss the structure of what you're supposed to do to be a good teacher? Like, do you ever miss that from your teaching days?
0: To be a good entrepreneur, to be a good business owner, you do have to create your own structure. So I think that's a misconception that a lot of people have is they confuse being able to create your own structure, which is, I think, the job of an entrepreneur, and not having any structure whatsoever. So I think there's a difference there.
1: It seems like you've cracked the mindset nut. Was there any single limiting factor when you look back on it that if you could go back and sort of tweak one part of your mindset, which knob would you turn in order to excel your progress to get to where you're at now faster?
0: Look at it as an actual business as opposed to just turning the internet into an ATM machine so that it can serve you, so serve others, of course.
1: You were in the freelancing mindset for about how
0: long? Probably the first year. You know, I say the company's five years old, but probably for that first year, it was just me sort of figuring out best practices, figuring out what are the inputs and the outputs, you know, do clients like receiving emails at what frequency? Looking back, I think a lot of freelancers can sometimes fall into the trap of perpetually being at the same level. Even if they make a little more, they're still using the same processes that they use and the same mindsets when they first got started. So I was definitely one that, wanted to get better you know what's the process what does a good email look like what does a good report look like and those things you know I still answer today and still continuously try to improve them
1: do you find this idea compelling that if you've been an entrepreneur for a bunch of years and you're having struggles getting to the six figure level that your issues are primarily mindset
0: looking back on my own experience do i think it was mindset that prevented me from going from breaking the six figure barrier yeah, I think it's a part of it. I think not realizing that I was starting a business and I you know, sort of realizing that I was starting a business and not necessarily just making enough to sort of live in Thailand for $500 a month. You know, that kind of transition, you know, realizing that I could build something that provided a lot of value to a lot of people was definitely a pivotal turning point. Because then you start thinking about the logistics of that. Like, okay, if we want to get to six figures or half a million or a million, you start sort of reverse engineering what that looks like. And I think a big part, you know, looking at what I do now compared to looking at what I was doing when I was a freelancer, I think it's like night and day. You know, these days I'm building out our internal processes, you know, we have an internal wiki. These days, I'm writing down marketing strategy. These days, I'm working on, you know, improving quality control. Whereas in the past, you know, the only thing that I think a lot of freelancers think about is, you know, how do I get my next client so I can make, you know, whatever I need, and then that's it.
1: How have the challenges changed for you? What are you worried about nowadays? When you wake up in the morning about your business, you're probably not thinking, how can I pay my rent or how can I afford a trip to Thailand? So, what are the new worries for someone at your level?
0: I think a lot of structure comes into play. The structure of like an HR question, you know, people sometimes ask me, you know, hey, do we get this day off or that day off? You know, having that sort of extra structure built into the business. It's something that you, know, you don't really think of when you first get started. You know, hey, a client asked for this, what's the protocol? A lot of that happens because I didn't set up the structure initially. So it's a lot of proactive and reactive planning.
1: What are you guys working towards as a company? What do you want now? Because it seems like from the outside that you got it pretty good.
0: So I think humans are very naturally, you know, goal-driven creatures. And looking back, you know, I've surpassed what I thought was possible. I thought that all I needed was, or $1,000 to go live in Thailand.
1: By the way, do you actually mean Thailand or was there an idea that that represented to you?
0: There is an idea that that was represented, you know, that the fact that the cost of living can be much lower in certain areas. Just because I didn't think it was possible to make more, (laughs) you know, it's that kind of mental limiting factor, you know, sort of kicking you saying, Hey, all you need is just this. Like, that's all you need to do. But then you start to realize, hey, wait a second. I can do a little bit more. Like I can do a little bit better.
1: Now, what's your new Thailand?
0: Yeah, right. What's the next goal? You know, I was sitting at lunch one time, just in Thailand, just this last October. And someone asked me that. Like, they said, hey, you know, if I've heard of you, you. I heard that you do good work. I heard that good things. What's next? And I told them, I want to be the best pay traffic company there is. I want to be five times better than anyone else. And they kind of said, oh, ha,ha, ha, that's funny. And it almost reminded me of when I first got started and I told people that all I want to do is make a $1,000 and live somewhere cheap in the world. So I think there's this kind of maybe limiting factor that goes around that, you know, talking about success can sometimes be kind of like taboo. You know, I do want to be the best. You know, I do want to grow and be known for that. I don't know. Should I be ashamed of that? I don't know. I think it
1: sounds nice.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think me as a person, I'm definitely a very competitive person. You know, part of the reason why I love paid ads, like AdWords and Facebook ads, and looking at the numbers, is because I think I am a very competitive person. And you know, with paid ads, it's it's you versus your competitors. You both have the same starting tools, and it's just up to who uses those tools best. So I think I've always been sort of fueled by that
1: when you look back at the path you could have taken as a teacher you know what's your emotion like about where you're currently at in your life you know do you feel lucky or relieved that you made the move are you just like it's pretty much a lateral thing i'm just you know more in control of my financial destiny
0: I heard someone say one time, everyone needs a competitive advantage. And I would say that my competitive advantage were some of the things that I learned and that I loved doing when I was a teacher. So helping people. It's like, and I want to help more people. Like that's a great sort of reason to grow. Not necessarily, I want to make more money. You know, helping people in a particular way that makes them feel good, makes them feel important. Like that's a teaching skill. And that's definitely carried over with me to what I do now. So in terms of emotion, I love what I do.
1: If I could beam you back to teacher Michael and you had a Michael Michael teacher conference what would you advise to him
0: you know, like I mentioned, I loved the time in the classroom. But as soon as the bell ended, the teacher politics began, the the bureaucracy began. And that kind of thing weighed so heavily on me, like a tidal wave was crashing over you. And I would go back and I would tell him, you know what? Like, You can create an organization that doesn't have the bureaucracy and you can create an organization that people are excited to work at.
1: Maybe the concept worked out a little bit better than I thought because I don't think it's any surprise that the conversation sort of ended on HR issues because, you know, Michael initially talked about, I think a lot of us have that dream of like, I just want to be independent of the political BS you know? And so it's a lot of that mindset issue of like, well, how do I go to work for myself? You know, when a lot of us get into entrepreneurship, it's like productivity tips. And like, how do I get most out of my work? And how do I charge people more money? And like, these are mindset things. And then it's like, how do I grow a brand? And how do I get people to buy stuff? These are marketing things. And now, Michael, you know, as an experienced entrepreneur is starting to ask himself, like, how do I make a great workplace? Yeah, full circle, really. What struck you about the conversation?
2: The full circle ness of it, I guess, right? I mean, how do you create an interesting workplace? It's less about solving the problems that you thought were problems in the beginning of your business. So now he's solving, or he's trying to solve HR problems and hiring issues. And you know, at one point during the interview, he said, "You know, I just hire anybody that came through the front door." And now I'm hiring people with experience. What's most striking to me, I guess, about these businesses and the evolution of them is how much they change and how different the issues are that you spend time working on as an entrepreneur at the beginning of the business and at the kind of middle point or end point of the business. You know, Michael is running a business that focuses on PPC, but he probably doesn't spend that much time actually focusing on paid traffic. You know? He spends a lot of his time focused on hiring. So it's interesting because the things that get us into the business aren't necessarily the things that we end up working on as owners.
1: Yeah. And I think it's also why business coaches have jobs, right? Because we're talking about three issues here that are really fundamental to any business is that you have to have the right mindset. You have to have the right marketing and you have to have the right people and understand how to create a team environment for them to succeed. in. big thanks to Michael for joining me. It is always a pleasure to talk to him. So we'll have all the links to what Michael's up to. You can check out his PPC firm. You can check out what he's up to online at this episode. What vanity URL should we post this one at?
2: Jeez, you put me on the spot man king michael does that work how about just michael erickson or michael e all right let's do it michael e that's how decisions get made we're gonna put this one at tropicalmba.com michael e check it out (laughs) see you next week see you next week man
1: hey thanks for listening to the tropical mba podcast you can go to tropicalmba.com get access to hundreds of of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies load up your ipod that is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight we will see you next thursday morning
0: 8 a.m eastern standard time